Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network, partnered with the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Uh, make sure you check out the other episode this week. Of course, it's all your fault out on Monday with you and yes. Jeremy K. Gover. The K stands for knowledge, as long, along with Megan as well. Great episode this week when uh, when Jeremy and Megan get into the same room together. Watch out. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so make They're sure like long lost brother and sister that somehow once you get them in a room together, it's like they never missed a beat. Yes, that, that, that is a very apt description. So make right. sure you check out. It's all your fault, of course, from the Nashville scene every single Monday uh, out wherever you get your podcasts uh, today on the show. We're going to dive into some of the players that might be on the quote unquote hot seat uh, for lack of a better cliche guys that are under the most pressure to sort of deliver on a lot of potential uh, in terms of the Nashville Predators and, and you know, their futures could be at stake with what they do or don't do this year. So we'll get into some of those players. Can the big stars deliver? We've kind of touched on this a little bit when we projected uh, all of the, the the statistics for every line. Go back and check out that episode. But I wanted to touch on while we're talking about hot seat and pressure, I think we have to discuss the three high priced three or four high priced items on this team. And can they replicate record breaking seasons from a year ago? So we'll get to some of that. I, you've got some prospect beef you need to you need to like tenderize today on the show i do mild beef not nothing nothing that'll set anyone's hair on fire but i I do have a a few i I have taken exception to a few of Corey promen's rankings for the predators top 10 prospects let's put it that way is it just Corey, or can we call out other local bloggers can we do that well mine specifically is on the athletic but i'm sure if if you gave me more time i could find issue with local bloggers i could always find issue with their stuff so so it's not too spicy just some mild tenderized beef with with the prospects like a good mild salsa there there you go uh and of course we've got some some exciting news for hockey fans in the market with some stuff that's coming to town so we'll get to all of that Uh, of course the gold standard is brought to you by jaspers are you going to ever add anything to just the word jaspers when you promote our title sponsor on the show. I guess I can. I could be a little bit more creative. I, I you're I, a right. You're a writer, Michael. Come on. To, to update everyone out there, I have driven by Jasper's a, a handful of times. We have yet to go there, but it is on our to do list. Hopefully this weekend. Man, come 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 work with us, advertisers at 440 Sports and the Gold Standard, where we almost visit your product. Hey, if you go to the post and check out the sports section, you'll see that I'm a very busy man. So it's not like I'm ignoring Jasper's for other restaurants in the area. I just don't go to anywhere else besides work and home. So that that is that is fair. Uh, go to Jasper's. Of course, the parking is free. The food is exceptional. The game room is free. It's the best air hockey table in the city. I guarantee it. And it is free. No trapping the puck. Do not put your drinks on it either. You got Papa Shot, Skee Ball, Darts, Shuffleboard, the library. Great place to watch games, of course. You got football season starting up. So get yourself a gold standard cocktail right there at the bar. You can order a cocktail named after this podcast, which seems pretty cool to me. So go check that out uh, and go to Jasper's. And of course, uh, also thanks to our other sponsor on the show, Weiss Liquors, Uber Eats. They do the driving so you can do the drinking. Just Uber Eats. Search Weiss Liquors, order your booze, and it'll show up to your house in as little as 20 minutes. Go check them out. Locally owned. Both companies, of course, locally owned and family operated here. Weiss for almost 100 years. If you shop in the store, pop in, buy some booze, tell them 440 cents at the cashier, you'll get 10% off. It's a tax-free booze right there from Weiss Liquors. So go to Jasper's and go to Weiss, uh, you Preds fans. Okay. NHL draft and award ceremony coming to Nashville. First time they've been in the same city since when? 2006 in Vancouver. 
Okay. So I didn't want to, t- I was going to say it. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to steal your thunder. Cause you're the one who told me that, that date, but it's good. It's there's, there should not come as any surprise. I'm not really sure what we have to add to the conversation other than even when the Preds aren't good, even when the Preds are a first round exit team for like four straight years, they're not a Stanley cup championship contender. They're not one of the premier, you know, best teams winning the president's trophy. Even when all of that happens, the job that they have done and the job that you, the fans, have done in building this market into a hockey town makes Nashville a destination city. And that is why the draft and the award ceremony will be in Nashville in 2023. So that's just like next year. We're going to have more NHL celebrations to take place in our city. Yeah. And if you listen to It's All Your Fault on Monday, uh, Jeremy K. Gover put it, you know, the best way I've, I've heard it the NHL wanted to host and throw another party in Nashville. They needed an excuse, not that you need an excuse, but they needed a reason to do so. The draft kind of made sense because they just hosted the the, out, the stadium series last year. They're not going to do that two years in a row. They're not going to host um, a winter classic here just with the way the logistics work out with the Music City Bowl and using Nissan Stadium and stuff. That could be on the horizon if the Titan, if and when the Titans new stadium is built and they work the Music City Bowl stuff out. Logistically, Vanderbilt Stadium is not big enough to hold an event like that either. So you take out the stadium series, you take out the winter classic. They're not going to bring an all-star game back at this close to just having one in 2016. The NHL draft was the perfect reason to do so. The last time they did it was 2003. Bridgestone Arena was known as the Gaylord Entertainment Center. Um, but yeah, this is something that I think it's yes. the premier event that Nashville has held in regards to the NHL following the 2003 draft, the 2016 all-star game, the 2017 Stanley Cup final, and the 2022 stadium series. Yeah, I, I think to Jeremy's point on on uh, It's All Your Fault every Monday's uh covering the Nashville Predators from the Nashville scene and post. I think I I I think you're if you're a Nashvilleian and you're a hockey fan in this market, I think you can just bank on like every two years you're going to get something good. Like there's yeah. the the NHL cannot avoid coming to this city if we are going to continue to show up the way we do for big events. And so sure, is it going to be a little while before they get the all-star game back again? Fine. Or or and I think I think you're right. When the Music City Bowl becomes a college football playoff game indoors, there'll be plenty of space for them to play on, you know, the uh, the Winter Classic uh, event on New Year's Day. So yeah, it's going to ha- like I would assume that this is going to be a fairly regular pattern. Maybe it's every three years, maybe it's every four years, but it's going to be a pretty regular pattern where the NHL is going to do everything in their power to be in this market. I from now until whenever. I don't. I it's 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 a thing that is now established. And those in those instances, those three to four year windows, those might become one or two year windows if the Predators become a perennial playoff team. And I'm not just talking making the playoffs. I'm talking making deep runs, maybe making conference finals, Stanley Cup finals, stuff like that. And if you look at it, the the way that that Nashville is set up, it's designed to host these big events. The Predators are still. I know they're 24, 25 years in their existence, but they they still, in regards to the national media, have this small town market label. I think they're they're bucking that with all of these these events that they have, but I think this is the more this happens every two three years. I think we're looking ten years down the road that Nashville kind of sheds that label because they will be the premier destination outside of Vegas right now. I can't really think of another Vegas and LA maybe another city that professional sports leagues want to go to more than Nashville. And if you look at it, the economic impact that it has is pretty substantial. The stadium series. Haven't gotten official numbers yet, but the economic impact on Nashville was between 15 and 20 million. The 2016 NHL All-Star Game, which at the time was the most watched All-Star Game in NHL history, drew about 25 million for the city. I think the draft can probably rival that, if not go up to 25, 30 million, just because it's such a big event. 
Granted, it's not the, the same scale as the NFL draft is, but right. in terms of big events, like a lot of people care about the NHL draft because this is where you get to see Connor McDavid before he goes out and becomes Connor McDavid. Same yeah. with Austin Matthews and, and players like that. I, I think what's interesting, I don't even think they have to be a good hockey team. Like the NASCAR award ceremony wants to be in Nashville like permanently, and they don't even have a race in the city limits right now. Like it's out at the speedway because the drivers want to come to Nashville and fans want to come to Nashville. And I think. I, I I mean I want to believe that the the how good the hockey team is matters, but I don't think it does. I think what matters is how well we throw a party, and we know that Butch and the visitor center and the convention center, and we know those guys and girls are going to put on a huge party. They're going to execute it brilliantly. And well, to that point, if the Los Angeles Kings played like the Arizona Coyotes, I don't think you'd be seeing a lot of NHL marquee events in Los Angeles. Well, I don't think. See, you mentioned Los Angeles, and like. I understand the glitz and glam of like Hollywood and the and the star power of it all, but I don't think like fans are wanting to go travel to Los Angeles to experience anything like football, oh, basketball, not. like be- football, basketball, baseball, hockey, racing doesn't matter. Whereas the average person would would have any excuse known to like I'll I'll, I'll I'll never forget the Seattle game to open the season. I think last year, two years ago, I don't even remember. It's all running together. It was like, in, I guess it was two years ago in January. And I saw fans that were walking around with Seattle jerseys on. And I, my first question was, why? Like, why are you a Seattle Kraken fan? Like, how did you, how did you settle on this? And especially in Nashville. And a lot of people were just like, yeah, we can't afford tickets in Seattle because games are so expensive at home. And yeah. there was, it was a no brainer. We're going to come to the game in Nashville because we want to go visit Nashville. And so I, I just think that we're, we have done this to ourselves and we should be very proud of it. It doesn't mean that every single event is great for our city, but you know, by and large, we've done this ourselves and created this with a lot of hard work from a lot of people, but mostly hockey fans have, have made this a town and destination to be. And uh, I think that's a lot of credit to a lot of people. So it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, it'll be a big big, big party. So it's, it's sandwiched in between CMA fest and the 4th of July celebration in downtown. So you basically have three weeks of nonstop partying going on in Nashville and, and that's strategic because those big events, especially sports-related events, you're drawing in the crowd from Atlanta. You're drawing in the crowd from St. Louis. You're drawing in the crowd from all these other cities and, and neighboring states, too. When I lived in Kentucky, I was so desperate for any kind of hockey, anything. I would literally, I remember when I was working at a paper there making $10 an hour, and it was during the Preds uh, Stanley Cup final run. I was driving two hours from Kentucky back to Nashville and driving home after the game just so I could have that experience of covering hockey and being a fan at a hockey game. So it's drawing in all these people from the neighboring regions and stuff. And I think that's what it's what it's kind of aimed at. If you're throwing it in L.A., you're not really expecting a lot of people to, to travel to L.A. Right. You're trying to get everyone that's in L.A. and maybe some people that are on the outskirts of where Los Angeles is and stuff like that. So I think it's, it'll be a hit. It's more like the, to me, anything in LA is more like the Super Bowl, where it's just very corporate. It's for like the, I don't want to call it like the rich elites, but like, that's what going to LA is all about. Whereas coming to Nashville is more a little bit about the people and the fans. And, um, and again, that's what makes, makes Nashville special is we have a small town market, but with like this big city party vibe to some degree, um, again, you and I are locals. Not every local loves the giant party that happens every Tuesday, every single night on lower Broadway, but yeah. it's good. It's good for business and it's good for uh, events to come here. And the more and events the, we get, the better we are. So, and the cool thing about the NHL awards is you could potentially with UC Saros and the Vezina trophy, Roman Yossi and the Norris trophy. Yeah. I mean, depending on if they have a, a rookie kind of breakout next year as well. I mean, 
Roman Yossi was a finalist for the Ted Lindsay Award, you could potentially be presenting one of your own players at you know one of the top performance awards in your city. That would be that would be pretty cool to watch too. That's a that's a good point. Um, there's there's plenty of options there. I'm not willing to say that there's another Calder Trophy candidate uh, after having one like arguably the best one ever in Preds history last year with Tanner Janot, but uh, I'm with you on on Saros and Yossi. There's no question about that. Uh, all right. Speaking of rookie of the year, um, the, uh, Joachim Kemmel got signed. He's signed and he's, you know, he's part of the organization, all that good stuff. Uh, however, you, I, I'm going to let you go here with this because when we were starting the show, we sat down, we were going to talk about it. And you're like, listen, I got some, I got some beef, man. I got some problems with these things, prospect rankings, you know, farm system rankings. They happen all the time around this time of year. You got rookies, you know, rookie development camp took place, all that stuff. What, 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 what exactly is happening? Why are you so upset about all this? I wouldn't say I'm upset. It's just I, you know, when you listen to someone talk about something that you are maybe not an expert in, but you know a lot about, and they're just giving people misinformation and it just boils your blood a little bit. That's kind yeah. of how I feel. It's called so the Corey news. Prom. Yeah. So Corey Promen, let me just start this off by saying I'm a big fan of Corey Promen. I'm a big fan of The Athletic. I'm a big fan of, of prospect gurus, and I, I love the work that he does. However, his top 10 prospect rankings for the Predators, I question the order of it a little bit. And also there, there's just some some things that he wrote in there that just made me scratch my head. So one through 10, it goes Philip Tomasino, Joachim Kemmel, Yaroslav Askarov, Yuso Parsonen, Zachary LaRue, Kasper Kulanami, Fedor Svechkov, Luke Evangelista, Ryan Ufko, and Semyon, Semyon Shostakov. Okay, most of that I'm fine with. My issue is the fact that he has Askarov third, and he's not clearly ranked number one, which everybody else outside of Corey Prodman that you talk to says Askarov is the Predators' top prospect. And the other issue I have is the fact that Luke Evangelista is ranked number eight behind Yuso Parsonen, Kasper Kulanami, Svechkov. You think that he is a he's a worse prospect than those guys? Another another issue I had too, he wasn't even ranked, was Igor Afanasyev. He had a little side note underneath it that says, has a chance to play Igor Afanasyev. And he said, he's a highly skilled big winger who can shoot the puck well but his skating stride is quite heavy. If that's your biggest issue with Igor Afanasyev is that his skating stride is quite heavy and that kept him from being ranked, you're seriously telling me you think Ryan Ufko is a better prospect than Igor Afanasyev, who David Poyle and John Hines both last year multiple times said he was very close to making this roster. He's going to be a big part of this team next year. They even said that at the beginning of development camp. So Igor Afanasyev is one of those players that probably has the best shot out of anyone else in their farm system to be on the on the roster this year. So I I do not disagree with anything you're saying here. I I don't not I do not understand how Askarov cannot be the number one prospect in the farm system. So I agree. Well, with I, you I there. got more on Askarov too, which we'll we'll get into that. In All right, we'll get into that. So and I'm with you on on Evangelista being low. I mean, I think I could argue that Shvetskov is too low as well. And I'm with you if Afanasyev has a chance to make the roster this year, and he's a high level prospect with high level skills. He needs to at least be in the top 10. So I don't disagree with any of this. How much of this do you think is you taking like the internet list bait here? How, how much of it is like, or is it because you respect him and respect the athletic and Corey that like you're disappointed by this? Like why, why is it that you're so worked up by an internet list, Michael? So, well, okay. It, it boils <laughs> down to this. There's always in local, it's always, it comes down to national media versus local media. National media, because they are national media, they can put out whatever they want, say whatever they want about anything. And most people on the Internet, Twitter, fans, readers, whatever you want to call them, will believe them over local reporters, even though local reporters have firsthand knowledge. 
I'm not saying that I have watched as many hours of prospect tape as Corey Prodman, but I guarantee you I have watched all 10 of the Nashville Predators' top prospects more than Corey Prodman has, whether he's watched them in person or on video. I have watched these guys grow up and develop through development camp, rookie camp, training camp, during the regular season. I was I was beating the drum for Alex Carrier to be a regular defenseman five years ago, like before anyone else was. So I'm not, and I'm not saying that I'm the be all end all of, of Predators prospects by any means. I'm just saying that's, that's all I heard was that you're. I'm saying you're I have I have watched these guys perform more, especially in person, than I feel like Corey Cronman has. And to so there's a couple points, and then we can move off of this because I don't want to spend too much time. I don't want to drag Corey through the mud. I very much respect no, him. No, but no, while you're doing it, can you drag somebody else in the? Is there any other? Any other people in the media in Nashville that you could drag through the mud on in this? While, I mean, don't get me started. It. I can I can take on the four check down with me if you want to, but we'll, wow, we'll, we'll digress wow. from that. Um, so with Luke Evangelista, he basically says he's really good. He's got a lot of offensive upside, highly skilled. Then he goes, he lacks the speed and size you'd like from an NHL forward, though, which is why I see him more as a full time bottom six winger. Luke Evangelista is five foot eleven. You know who else is five foot eleven? Matt Duchesne, Mikhail Granlin, Ellie Tolvanen. So I don't buy the whole, he's five foot 11. He doesn't have the size you want all three. Well, two of those, Ellie Tobin's still a work in progress, but Matt Duchesne and Mikhail Granlund have proven you can be a very good top six four being five eleven. Another thing that I, that bothers me about that is watching him during the prospect game and watching him during development camp. And granted it's development camp, they're playing against other rookies. I get it. Right, right, right. But he said that he lacks speed. Luke Evangelista during the prospect game, other than Joachim Kemmel was the fastest player on the ice. Maybe that's something he has worked on over the last year. I, I didn't really watch a lot of his games last year, but that just bothers me that that you're trying. You don't really have a lot of bad things to say about him, so you're trying to create something to make it sound like he should be ranked lower. Or, or is everybody else on the ice just slower? Is I mean, that, that, is that, that the problem? Well, could be it too. When when Luke Evangelista was coming out in the draft, this is one of the. I think it was from Dauber Prospects. This is this is a scouting report on him. Evangelista's top end speed is above average and he reaches that speed quickly enough with decent acceleration. He is more quick than fast though, with a very good first step. And I found other scouting reports that have talked about how he's not like, you know, Ellie Tolvin and fast, but he does have pretty good top end speed. So that just, it just seems like he's nitpicking at reasons like, well, I have him ranked eighth. I need to justify it. I'll just, I'll pick on his speed. What, what would be, so I, I totally hear what you're saying and I understand the, I'm kind of tongue in cheek, giving you a hard time here because I think, you you go and watch this stuff. You study the prospects. I I give you a lot of credit for it. And if somebody is the like the second or third fastest player on the ice, and then you read a report where a guy's saying, "Well, but he's not," that's a big concern. It it it, it would piss me off too. So I'm I'm with you on what you're doing now. Let me. To me, uh, this would be like if someone tried to convince you that Derrick Henry was slow. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Uh, so also five eleven, uh, Sidney Crosby. Just throwing it out there. Um, wh- what, what would be your top, give me your top five in order. Okay. So I, I do want to make one point on Askarov before we move off of this too. Okay. So my top five is Askarov one, Evangelista two, LaRue three, Kemmel four, Afanasia five. Okay. I don't have any problem with that. I think you can move Kemmel up maybe a slot or two, but like, I think I don't I have a problem based with that. On what, I think based on what Kemmel did at the world junior championship, I would move him now to three and move LaRue down to four. Okay, so you so you have Askarov and Evangelista at one and two, and he's got yes. them at three and eight. Yes. Okay. That that's that's a reason to be upset. I I understand your beef here, but again, again I'm not, I'm not mild beef. Upset. I just find it funny when people that have watched fewer of these prospects than I have talk about them like they're experts. But yeah. Okay. What he said on Askarov, which take was that a, take that Corey Pronman. <laughs> 
what he said what what he said about Askarov, which was amusing to me. He said the 21-22 season was tough for Askarov. He barely got ice time. When he did, he didn't perform as expected. He got his game got a little chaotic this season, and he wasn't making smart reads you're used to from him. He'll be in Nashville system next next year, and the hope is he regains his form. I still think he'll be a legit starting goalie. My question is, what form did he lose? And I want to I want to understand how he just fell off the face of the earth. These are these were his stats this year. So in six KHL games, he had a 1.81 goals against average. For those of you that don't know, that's really good. That's about equivalent to like a 1.25 ERA for a pitcher. His save percentage was 913. That's in the KHL as an 18-year-old playing against grown men. In the VHL, which is kind of like the, the KHL too. Granted, his regular season wasn't that strong, but he won five of his nine games. His save percentage was right at 90, and he had a 2.57 goals against average. In the VHL postseason, he won two of his three playoff games with a 2.01 goals against average and a 937 save percentage. So please tell me how, where, I, I want to know where he's getting this. He lost his form. I hope he regains all this stuff because those numbers seem pretty good for an 18 year old goalie prospect. What, what's funny is like, I, I want to say, like, well, it's because the Russian war in Ukraine. And like, people are going to be like, that's not a funny joke. And I'm like, I'm not it's not a joke. No, it's legit. Like, it's, it's, totally it's not serious. a it's not a joke. It was his team and the and the situation around him that uh, that changed everything, not his skill set, right? Yeah, exactly. And David Poyle even said this, I, th- I think it was in March or April. He said that because because the KHL SK St. Petersburg, which is was his KHL team because they knew he was leaving to to join the NHL. What KHL teams often do is they punish those prospects by taking right. away their ice time. And when they get to the NHL or when they get to the whatever AHL team they join, they're usually a little bit rusty because they've gone months without playing. The last time Askarov played in a game was like January 12th, I believe, or January 16th. It was early, mid-January. Yeah. So he's gone He's gone eight, nine months really without playing a game. And that was David Poyle's point of why they wanted to get him over here as quickly as they could because the KHL was punishing him. That's not Askarov's fault. Yes, he didn't play that much the la- over the last season, but his skill set hasn't changed at all. Robbie Stanley, if you if you follow Robbie on Twitter, he was tweeting out how athletic Askarov was at, at practice the other day. He was tr- he was all these tweets about how great he is. We had Chris Mason on It's All Your Fault like two or three weeks ago, and he was talking about how he loves the quick twitch and Askarov's Askarov's hips and how he can he has Ooh. that athletic ability. Like anyone else other than Corey Prodman, apparently is is is. I, I just don't understand how how he came to this decision. And again, I'm not trying to hate on the guy, but yeah. yes. The season was tough for Askarov, but it wasn't tough because his skills diminished. It was tough because of his playing yeah. time being yanked down way down to where it was. So that's I, those are all those are all the issues I had. I don't I don't understand some of the things he said, but some of those I had Fedor Svechkov ranked eighth. I thought that was right on. Um, the really I only had two issue, well three issues if you count Afanasiev. Yeah. There they are. I aired my grievances. I like to think feel that be- you feel better. Yes, I like to think that I had an informed reasoning for for why I was I was as, as upset. So there you go. We can we can move on now, and life is good. Anytime Chris Mason is talking about uh, explosive hips, I'm good. I'm I'm in on that. I just want to hear C Mace talk about people's hips. Um, exactly. He can right, talk so- about it and describe it as if he's like reading you a book, and it's like poetry, and you can like see the flowers uh, blooming and yeah, stuff. He's yeah. Uh, all right, so we're going to get into pro- players on the team that have the most to prove. They're on the, they're on the hot seat. You know, pick a cliche, um, and then we'll talk about sort of the big stars and if they can continue and replicate what they've done because there's a lot of names that that had career years last year. So we're going to dive into some of that. Uh, again, before we do, 
Gold Standard is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at Jasper. So here's what I want to do. Since you continue to avoid our title sponsor, <laughs> I'm going to run through the, I'm going to run through and design you and the missus menu for your first visit. Okay. Because if you're going to go, you got to go big. Okay. So, so I want to see what you think about this. I'm going to see if I can pick out Michael and Mrs. Gallagher's taste. Okay. Sure. So when you go to Jasper's, the first two items you have to order off the shareables menu are, of course, the collie poppers, tempura cauliflower, pea pesto, feta cream, and red bell essence. Are we good there? You good with that? I think so, yeah. Okay. Great, great item. And the barbecue pork fries, sweet potato waffle fries topped with pulled pork barbecue, ranch scallions, and pickled onions. It's it's awesome. How do you feel about those two? That sounds great as well. My wife is a big sweet potato fan. Okay. So, so far, so good. So far, yes. so good. All right, there are some really delicious uh, greens and things, which is all about the salads. There's some really good ones in there. If you're going to go, I recommend the shrimp and goodies. It is my favorite spicy potatoes with like arugula and shrimp. It's delicious. But I'm going to go down to the flatbreads and I'm going to order you okay. two the Mexican street corn flatbread pizza, queso roasted corn, salsa roja, cilantro, poblano cream, mozzarella, queso fresco, and you can add chorizo for three bucks. Is that a, is that an is that a menu item that the two of you would order? Uh, yes, it absolutely is. We are big street corn fans in this house. See, I'm doing well so far. Look at this. I'm just doing, <laughs> I'm doing this right off the top of my head. By the way, um, I, I'm going to skip through the the handholds, which are like the or the handhelds, which are that's a weird way of me saying that, which is like the sandwiches and stuff. They're really really good. Um, go check it out. The Jasper's Burger is spectacular, of course. But I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to go with the I know you love fajitas so I could go with the steak fajitas if I wanted to I'm gonna go with Creole pasta fettuccine spiced cream sauce chicken sausage red mushrooms and red peppers mushrooms and garlic what do you think about that uh you should have went with the fajitas I'm not a big seafood fan so damn it okay all right you're doing so good up and up until then I messed up with that one and then uh we're gonna go with chocolate layer cake or passion fruit cheesecake what do you like I feel like you can't go wrong with chocolate anything. So we'll, we'll go with the, the cake. All right. You By not being a seafood fan, you salvaged it by being a chocolate fan. So there we go. I just ordered a menu for, for Michael and the missus to go when they go to Jasper's and we'll have, you can post it all over socials and we'll, we'll celebrate the fact that you actually support our title sponsor on the yes. podcast. Sound good. How many, just curious, how many times did, did Adam go to Jasper's? Uh, many, many times. Don't compare okay. yourself uh, to Adam. So I got a lot of catching up to do. You got a lot of catching up to do. Go to Jasper's everybody. All right, so let's get into some of the players that have the most to prove this year, and we'll, we'll get to the big superstars and can they replicate what they're doing. Again, we kind of touched on this briefly when we projected out all the lines and all the statistics a couple of episodes ago, but we'll touch on that again because I think it it plays into which players have the most to prove, so we'll get to that in a second. But I, I to me, there is one name atop this list that is bigger and brighter and bolder and more important, and his future and the team's future and everything else is all bigger and more important than everybody else. And that name is Ellie Tolvanen. Is, is there any under the most pressure? Is there any other player under more pressure than Ellie Tolvanen? Like like his entire career in Nashville could hinge on how he plays in the first half of the season, right? That is true. I went in a different direction, but I I yeah, yes. All right, let's explore let's explore Tolvanen and then we'll come back to some of the cuz there's lots of guys. Uh, I mean Dante Fabro is a guy you and I have talked a lot about on the show that has a lot to prove in, in terms of what he's doing. I mean, Jeremy Luzon, Luzon's got a, a lot to prove with a with an $8 million contract now. There's a lot of guys. But to me, the one who's like the highest pedigree with the most buzz and the most talent and upside combined with 
the most question marks and and this and like the earliest departure time whatever that might mean to me that is pressure like that is Ellie Tolvanen's future in Nashville depends on what happens from October to like January or February. And I am concerned that the Preds are going to give up too soon on him. I, I don't know how you feel. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, I think I even said this on it's all your fault on Monday. I think it's another Kevin Fiala situation. And I don't think Kevin Fiala would have reached his 40 goal, 80 point potential in Nashville because the coaching staff just didn't know how to use him properly. And I think that's another situation with Ellie Tolvanen where the coaching staff doesn't know how to use him properly. You know, Gover pointed out on Monday that Tolvanen is probably looking at playing fourth line minutes. Is he a fourth line player? Absolutely not. He needs to be a top six player. That's how you're going to get the most out of him. But you're, are you going to, are you going to bump Nito Niederreier out of the top six to put Tolvanen up there? No. Are you going to bump Philip Tomasino to, into the top six to give Tolvanen a shot? Probably not. Unless Tomasino just absolutely just looks out of his element up there. So you kind of feel bad for him because I, I agree he is under a lot of pressure this year to kind of prove his worth to the team or he's probably going to be traded at the deadline. But also, like, I just don't see how he has the space in the room to do that if he's going to be playing eight or nine minutes a game with Cody Glass and Zach Sanford or Michael McCarron or whoever. Right. You, you make a very valid point. Who did you have then? I'm assuming you is it is it Tomasino? Is it Fabro? Who did you have that has the most to prove then this year? The most to prove I had I had Tomasino. And okay. Ellie Tolvin enlisted, but I had Tomasino ahead just because we, again, we don't know what John Hines is thinking. Everyone's penciling Philip Tomasino in on the second line with Niederreiter and, and Ryan Johansson. We don't know that that's the case. They might, Ellie Tolvin might be penciling in, in, in John Hines' mind. We don't know. But you look at it, 11 goals, 32 points in 76 games. That's, that's a pretty solid rookie year for someone who's 18, 19 years old. What you also like about it was he had nine power play points and he had 111 shots. And I don't, I don't have the exact number of, of breakaways that he had, but Gover also pointed out on Monday, he was very snake bit on breakaways. If he scored on half of those, he's probably closer to the 20 goal mark. Yeah. You look at that. I, I feel like Tomasino, he's going to get the space to prove that he is a top six forward, hopefully this year, or you think this year, at least playing with Johansson Niederreiter. But if, if you, and again, whatever the franchise's issue is with getting young forwards that have the upside and them not panning out, I mean, we we almost saw it with Philip Forsberg when he first got called. He didn't look like he was going to be playing very much at all. And then he figured it out, excuse me. And then it happened with Kevin Fiala. Uh, it happened with Tolvanen. You just don't want to see Philip Tomasino go down that road as well by putting too much pressure on him too early. But I think out of all those guys that we listed, if anyone can get through it, I think Tomasino proved last year that he could. 11 goals, 32 points, 76 games, playing eight minutes, eight and a half minutes a game on the fourth line is pretty good. You put him in a top six role. I think those numbers are probably closer to 20 goals and 45, 50 points. So I, I kind of want to combine combine these two because I think they are, for many years, I think fans, and rightly so, looked at Tomasino and Tolvanen as like the, the two big building block pieces, right? Like they're the future. Yes. And and Tomasino, by the way, 13 minutes, 1326 average ice time last year, 1448 the year before. So it's it wasn't getting nine minutes, but again, 13 is not, exactly top six minutes so your point is still valid i think the biggest issue with tolvin and also along with tomasino first of all i think tomasino's first year in the nhl was better than than tolvin's and yes. and he did it at a younger age so i think there's no question that tomasino is a step ahead in terms of his development process and i think there should be more uh leash given to him because of his age and what he's already accomplished at a younger age and I think the expectations had a lot to play with that too, because Tomasino joined the Predators at 19, 
put him on the fourth line. I think everyone was like, okay, that's a good spot for him because he's so young. Tolvanen came in playing, you know, in seven different continents with, you know, playing in the Olympics right, right, and that right. stuff, Like he came in with all of this hype that they, John Hines started him on the third line and bumped him up to the second. And that wasn't quick enough for everyone. So I think the expectations kind of shifted that. I mean, you look at it, they both had 11 goals last year. You look at Tomasino as having a really good rookie year. You look at Ellie Tolvanen as having a very disappointing year. So I think the expectations kind of shifted that a little bit. Yes, there's no question. And this is why, first of all, we all remember though, I mean, he scored six power play goals, six of his 11 goals two years ago for Ellie Tolvanen were power play goals. We remember when he was carrying the power play. Yes. And that, and again, that season was, a, was still a very, like, this is the other question we just don't know about when it comes to players like Tolvanen. When you were 20 years old and, and, and the NHL had a 40, you know, had, like we're talking about the pandemic and then a, a season that started in January that was condensed and changed. Is that the way you develop properly as a 20 year old player? Now, at the same time, you can turn around and say, well, look what happened with Tanner Janot and look what happened with, you know, Yakov Trenin and so on and so forth. He shot 17% two years ago. He shot 7% last year. Yes. If he just if he just evens out and gets a little bit more shot luck, he's too good of a shooter to shoot 7% again. If he does it again and he's averaging 14 minutes a game and he's shooting 7%, like I, I don't know what how you fix that if you're a coaching staff. And you also look to Tolvanen did not have a consistent place in the lineup. He was sometimes on the first line, sometimes on the fourth and back to the second. Like he was bouncing around a lot. He didn't have a lot of consistency. He didn't have that time that I feel like you need to properly gel with a line with a line and line mates and stuff. So if, if they really keep him on the fourth line and we, we assume Cody glass is probably going to be the center of that line. And then you fill it in with, you know, McCarron or Sanford or whoever, maybe Cody glass develops as well. And maybe they both feed off of each other and help each other improve. I, he's a, he's the ultimate wild card. Really. We don't know what we're going to get out of him because we expected really good things too quickly right out of the gate. And he delivered sometimes. And sometimes he let, he let us down. But I think Tolvanen, it's an interesting case. I, I I could see the case for him having the most approved or Tomasino. It just depends. I guess long term, you could I would go with Tolvanen because this, I just think I just think Tomasino has more leash right now. Yeah, Tomasino could be on this team next year if he has a bad year. Right. Tolvanen, right. if he has a bad year this year, I don't think he's here next year. And what I don't like about that is that right now, like I still believe in Ellie Tolvanen's talent. And I've said that over and over again. Maybe I'm going to be wrong about that, and that's fine because I exactly don't want another Kevin Fiala situation. But I also like having two young players that have not even come close to reaching their potential to have an A, an opportunity to battle for a, a spot on the top six, which is kind of what they're going to do right now. Yeah. But also, people get hurt, man. Like, you're going to lose players to injury. And I think you've got some pieces to replace on the third line and fourth line. I think that would fill in and the dynamic of those lines wouldn't change too much from a skill set standpoint, right? Like if, if you lose Yakov Trenin, I think you've got a couple of guys in the farm system that you could plug in that you, it wouldn't change dramatically how you would want to deploy that line, right? Like Afanasiev could, could Afanasiev could take that role in, in an emergency situation and it would, it doesn't necessarily change how you deploy that group. I think the two of them absolutely could. You you want to have two highly talented options if Niederreiter's hurt, if Forsberg's hurt, because we know Forsberg's going to get hurt at least for like fifteen games. You, you want to have pieces that are that have top six potential. And I just I, I'm just 
I'm concerned they're going to get rid of him. Then they're going to need him, and he's going to go off and be great somewhere else. And I just don't want to see that happen. So that's yeah, that's I mean, my maybe I'm too concerned about that. I don't know. I mean, I have no doubt that if you take Ellie Tolvin and put him on the Colorado Avalanche or the Tampa Bay Lightning, he's oh a 60 point player right. on the third or fourth line. And it's just a shame that he can't be given that same opportunity here. And what's what's funny is like all those teams I just listed, their depth is better than the Predators. So if he's not cracking the second line with the Predators, he's obviously not going to crack that line, those lines on any other teams. But it just it sucks because the kid's really good. He has the skill set, the talent. It's all there. I just question this, and this is not a knock on the coaching staff. I just question this particular coaching staff's ability to maximize that talent. I mean, you would think John Hines would be the head coach to do it because that's why they got him because of his history right. track record developing players. But for whatever reason, Tolvanen, just like Kevin Fiala, doesn't have a consistent spot in the lineup, doesn't have those those consistent line mates, and he's probably going to end up being traded. And what's so ironic, too, about Tolvanen is he actually has gotten a he's developed a more physical 200 foot game. Like when I yes. noticed him doing the good, like w w I would notice shifts all of last year where I'm like, that was a really good shift by him. And it had nothing to do with his offensive prowess. What's crazy is he ranked in the top 27 among forwards last year in hits with 176. Yes. He had 200 hits for someone who's 5'11 and like 190 pounds. Uh, remember, we've established we've established on the show that 5'11 players cannot succeed. So we've already yes. figured we've already established Which that. Is why Luke Evangelista is a bum. I do think that that Tomasino, to your point though, about why you think he's got the most to prove, I do think that that we as a collective fan base, and I'll put myself, I, I shouldn't say we, but like the collective fan base has sort of shifted their eyes to Tomasino because he had a bigger year. He was younger, he showed more promise last year. And this th this fan base is so thirsty for a truly developed top six winger that can score goals that I just think it's almost like it's like speed dating. Like we're just, we're just willing to date anyone who could be a top six forward that we developed ourselves. And I think that is to your point, like, all right, he was a little bit better at a younger age. Maybe there is more upside. Maybe we should put more pressure on him. When we did our exercise pro projecting this team five years from now, go rec I recommend listening to that. We weren't talking about Ellie Tolvanen necessarily as a top line winger. You were talking about Philip Tomasino as the number one center on the team. Yeah. That's different levels of upside potentially. So, and I, and I feel you feel bad for any talented forward this team drafts because the fan base, they're sharks, man. It's like, I know, once I know. you get someone, once they hear top six potential, it's, it, you might as well, it's over, which is why I feel bad for Joachim Kemmel because in three or four years, if he's not on this roster and scoring goals, they're going to start labeling him a bus too. And yeah. I don't think that Tomasino is going to take that trajectory. I think he showed enough promise last year playing with who was it? Tommy Novak and, and Nick Cousins. Right, right, on the fourth right. line. Right. I think he showed that if he could put up 11 goals and 30 points with those guys, that if you put him with Johansson and Niederreiter, he's going to get closer to his potential. You just, you just feel bad for Tolvanen because too much, too much pressure was placed on the kid at a young age to come in and be the savior of the franchise. And then, and that happened. What? two, three years after Jimmy VC kind of spurned them. So they've been oh, yeah, yeah. for, for that, that top elite forward that everyone thought Jimmy VC was. I don't know why that well, happened. But. There's always some shit, man, like rattle off VZ. Yeah. Like, there's always something. You're just like, why is this always happening? I don't, I don't understand. Fans just can't have good things. That's what it is. No, no, yeah, I, I agree. Um, it will listen, watching, watching Ellie Tolvin and score 35 goals for the avalanche will drive you to drink. In which case you should go to Weiss liquors and acquire some booze to watch Ellie Tolvin and play for somebody else. Uh, Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, of course, one of our great and wonderful, amazing sponsors here on the Gold Standard Podcast. Search Uber Eats, 
for Weiss Liquors. Order your booze, have it delivered directly to your house. I suppose if you want to risk it and have it delivered to your office, you can do that. I suppose I don't, re- we don't recommend that on the show, but I, I think it's an option. Uh, otherwise, pop in the store right there on Gallatin, right there on, on Main Street, right there, uh, right as you get into East Nashville. Really, really close to downtown. So if you're leaving downtown to head home, pop into Weiss Liquors, save 440 at the counter, get 10% off. That's tax free booze and support local businesses. Support local businesses, family owned and operated Weiss Liquors for almost 100 years in the Nashville market. So go check them out. Uh, any other names? Like I think Tanner Janot actually has a lot of expectations on him this year. I think Dante Fabro is also a guy that's got a lot to prove. Who who else would you put in this list of pressure, lots to prove, hot seat kind of kind of conversation for the Preds? Yeah, so I I went in a little bit different direction with under the player under the most pressure. I don't think it, it's in a they could lose their job hot seat kind of way, but I feel like the player that is under the most pressure to perform at a high level this season is UC Saros, and that. Like I said, yeah. he's not he's not in any danger of being traded. He's not in any danger of losing his job to Kevin Lankinen or whatever. But I feel like he's he's gonna need some help this year. And you hope that that Lankinen is at least competent, more competent than David Riddick was last year. So Saros doesn't have to start 67 games. There's only been four seasons in Predators history where a goalie has started 67 or more games. Thomas Vokun had two, Rene had one, and Saros had one. The reason why I put Saros in here, though, is because he is the single most important piece to the Predators' success. Yeah, the six seasons in which he has started double-digit games, the Predators have gotten points in sixty-one percent of his starts. I think that's a little bit higher than Pecorini, or it might be like right on where, where Rene was. And we saw when when he got hurt last year. Granted, David Riddick and Connor Ringham probably weren't the best options going against the Colorado Avalanche in a playoff series, but when he went down, the team just it just looked like they were so deflated. Like all the air got let out of their sails. Yes. They still tried to put up a fight the best they could. I guess you could say that, but they were a different team without Saros than they were with him. And you could say that about any starting goalie, but I feel like other than maybe Andre Vasilevsky, UC Saros goaltender wise is the single most important goaltender to his team's success made right up there with Vasilevsky. I, I think from like an internal night in night out pressure to win games, a million percent at UC Saros. I think Ryan Johansson would probably be number two on my list where night in, night out, that guy has to bring it. Yossi would be on that list too, but that's because, again, if you're going to make over $9 million and be the captain and be arguably the best defenseman on the planet, like you're just going to... You sort of like inherently have that kind of pressure to win. Yeah. I, I guess I looked at it. I looked at it. I think we kind of did this exercise slightly differently, which is totally fine. I, and a lot I of think, those guys that you're talking about, I had I had a lot of those in the can they repeat category too. So yeah, and I think the like for this team here's and this is kind of our next question on the show, which is can the Predators make the playoffs, make a championship caliber run, a deep run, conference finals, whatever, without those the high price stars being high price stars. And I don't, I mean, we, the short answer is probably not. Yeah. Do they, do they have to replicate what they did last year and break every single record uh, in franchise history? No, but those guys aren't going to lose, but those guys aren't going to hang on, but those guys aren't going to lose their jobs though. If, if they, if, if, if Ryan Johansson has a slightly worse year, if Yossi has a worse year, if Duchesne comes back to the pack, if Matt, you know, if, if Forsberg comes back to the pack a little bit, like these guys are not going anywhere. And so I, was, I would agree with you, but I, I will throw out a, a scenario that I was thinking about. The player who I think is under a lot of pressure to repeat and also could be in a little bit of trouble is Matthew Shane. 
If, I'm not saying Matt Duchesne needs to okay. put up 43 goals again, but if Matt Duchesne comes out after the season he had last year and say he puts up 20, 22 goals and 42 points, they still have him under contract at $8 million a year for four more years. The the Predators, in my opinion, are in win-now mode, and that is because of the Niederreiter signing, because of trading for Ryan McDonough. They're not doing the rebuild. You, you got Saros locked in for three more years. I think they're in win-now mode. If Duchesne comes out and does not have as good of a season last year. Again, if he 30 goals and 60 points, I think you're good. But if he's if he's 20 goals, 40 points, and he's he's not playing the way he did last year, I could see a scenario where the Predators being in win now mode might send him to say, I don't know, the Arizona Coyotes with a first round pick to get his salary off the books and go and chase that other elite score this team has been missing. That is, I'm not I'm not saying that's super Man. realistic, but I'm just saying I could see David Poyle getting desperate enough to do that. To where they're in win now mode, and Matt and Matt Duchesne could be the scapegoat of why they can't get to the next level. You would why, 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 rid of why, a first pick, but you shed that eight million dollars salary, and then you can go out next year and get I don't know whoever the equivalent of Johnny Gaudreau was on the open market. So it's clearly not Yossi, and and then to to the same extent, it's not Forsberg either because of the contracts. Yeah, but there's definitely a lot of pressure on both those guys every single night, like Saros, to deliver because Yossi's your best player, your best defenseman. Forsberg's your best goal scorer and Saros is your goaltender. Like those are the three most important pieces in each one of those three phases of the game. The the question, I, what like Johansson is just just Johansson just doesn't have as much trade value. Like I I think Johansson is almost under more pressure because while the numbers were his best in Nashville, it wasn't like Duchesne kind of earned himself some some leash with the, with the way he played last year, and I don't think he played like moving him to the wing was has obviously been a great move. But I think Johansson is the only, to me, Johansson is the only guy who can do the things he can do when he's focused on doing them. And that is running the power play on the half board. That is power centering a, a, an offensive line that's in the offensive zone, pushing around the other top center from the other team. Like I don't, Duchesne doesn't play that style of game. I, I don't know. And there's one more year on his contract for Duchesne. I, to me, I could see. Why, why do Shane being traded and blamed and not Johansson? And I'm not I'm not disagreeing with anything that you have said, but looking at and some of the numbers that I got. So and I also think it, it's entirely dependent on if Matthew Shane stays on the wing in 2022 or if he tries to force his way back to center. So far as a winger, he's one for one on 40 goal, 80 point seasons. In the 12 years before as a center, he had 30 goals. More than 30 or more goals twice, 70 or more points twice, and only once did he have both of those in the same season. So clearly, he is better suited on the wing. But looking at it, I, I, I don't understand why Ryan Johansson gets as bad of a reputation as he has. Four of the six years he's been here, he's had 54 or more points. He's really only had two years that were subpar, and those other than 2021, they were 2019 and 2020. You also look at it, one of those years was a COVID-shortened season when all hell broke loose. I don't I don't think Ryan Johansson is as bad as he is in some other people's minds. He's the perennial 54 point player. Yeah. I don't think he's bad by the way. I, 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 my, my, my issue isn't that he's bad. I thought he had a great year last year. No, he did. He, he finally got up to 20 goals, which I think is what everyone's been expecting for him. I think he fell short on the goal expectations, but while yeah, he wasn't yeah. scoring as many goals, his point production actually went right. up. So, so, so what I'm, what I'm, what I want from you though, is let's say they are both significantly subpar. Right, because that's what your that's what your implication is with Duchesne, right? That he's having a a significant he's taking a significant step back. 
Yeah, if they both which, regress this year. Which is which is totally possible. I don't think we expect that, nor are we predicting that. But hypothetically, if both of them take a significant step back and they play the way they played two years ago and three years ago where we were all like, these contracts don't look good. Um, I I, I want to know why the major why like because you said scapegoating Duchesne could be the reason, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What I want to know is why would the Preds look at Duchesne versus Johansson and say you get the blame, quote unquote blame versus where Johansson would. That that's what I'm curious about. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just curious. In my opinion, it's because Ryan Johansson was productive before Matthew Shane got here. And I'm not saying that because Matthew Shane got here, that made him less productive. But I think the Predators have have a, a larger sample size of Ryan Johansson in their system, knowing what they're getting from him. And I don't have the exact numbers, but I think in the games that when Ryan Johansson has missed time with injury the team performance has been noticeable. Their zone entries and exits, their puck possession, all of that is significantly lower with Ryan Johansson out of the lineup than it is with a minute. And he does a lot of things like he can quarterback a power play if you need him to. He can be that big physical presence if you need him to. He can fire off shots off the half wall if he needs to. Like Ryan Johansson is more more vital to this team's success in ways that don't show up on the score sheet than Matt Duchesne is. And that's, that's... Probably the best way I can put it. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good way to put it. I'm I'm down with that. And I just I just wanted to like hypothetically, let's walk through the scenario. Both of them are significantly worse, and our worst nightmares from like three years ago start to come true. W- where do we look to place blame? Which is what we always yeah. do in the media and with fans. And I, I think Johansson has been an easy target for that. And to your point, probably yeah, is some some of that maybe is deserving. Some of that's not. And Duchesne was such this like kind of flamboyant like it was like this courtship between this team and this player that eventually culminated in, in him coming here with this huge contract and so I, that also has some like inherent built-in pressure that people are going to place on you because of how you played like Yossi to me if you talk about actually replicating what you did last year like I don't think Yossi has that would be almost impossible for him to replicate yeah. what he did last year but there's no pressure on him in, inward or more than like he would place on himself to 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 produce and be good. I think Forsberg, it's more about like, dude, you got like seven, you got eight more years. You 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 need to be on the ice. Like there's a health aspect to Forsberg where if he misses 25 games this year, that contract is good. Like people, whether right's right or wrong, people are gonna look at that contract and be like, I can't believe we did that. It's gonna, it will age poorly if he misses time, even if that's unfair. Yeah, and I think the thing with Forsberg is he's he's scored 30 goals or more three times, scored 60 points or more four times. He ca- he has the skins on the wall, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Looking at Yossi, yes, 96 points is absolutely ridiculous for a defenseman, let alone any other, any kind of skater. But Any Nashville no, Predator. Yeah, no one really expected that. So if Yossi comes back next year and scores 18 goals and 55 points, no one's going to be like, well, you didn't get close to 90 points because no one expected him to. Right. They expect Matt Duchesne to get 30 or 40 goals. They expect Brian Johansson to get 20, 25 goals. Those are the expectations. So I don't think it's, it's a matter of can they repeat the great seasons? I think for at least Johansson and Duchesne, it's a matter of can they do what we are expecting them to do? Yeah. And Forsberg as well. But Forsberg, like I said, has the track record, has the history of being a, a goal scorer and a point producer. Matt Duchesne last year was his best career year at what, age 31? You look at Ryan Johansson, he – He's been kind of hot and cold in, in situations like that. So I think, I, I do think if you're ranking them in order of who's under the most pressure to repeat, it's Duchesne, 
Johansson, Forsberg, and then Yossi. Okay. I, th- I think that's the order I would... I-, I think that's fair. I just wanted to debate a little bit at the top there. I, I do agree that Forsberg's goal-scoring ability is more proven, and-, yeah. and-, and-, and the contract, if he's on the ice, is more proven. Yossi's contract is proven. It- there is an element of like, oh, I'll believe it when I see it with the other two in terms of replicating what they did, Duchesne and Johansson. And I, I think agree... The thing is, too... Like because Kyle Turris, you owe him two million dollars until twenty twenty eight. You're not going to buy out either one of Johansson or Duchesne. Yeah. And if you look to shed that salary, you're going to have to package a high prospect, a high uh, draft pick to another team. I, I just feel like you would have probably an easier time selling Matt Duchesne than Ryan Johansson because you you have him under control for three, four years. He could be that forty goal scorer. Matt Ryan Johansson has has what thirty something thirty three goals. I think is career high. I think I think long term, Duchesne has proven he has a higher potential for the rest of his career than Johansson. Yeah, yeah. Well, who's got the most value on the trade market? I would tend to agree it's probably Matt Duchesne, unless you unless you're a coach who thinks they can get playoff Ryan Johansson from 2017, in which case he's the far better player. Yeah, far more complete player. But again, you just haven't seen enough of it. So, all right, okay, that's good. That's good. Um, what what about like could lose their jobs? Any, we'll wrap up the conversation here. But anybody like in the Ellie Tolvin and Dante Fabro, and I'm not talking about you know guys that are like third line, fourth liners. I'm not like Cody Glass is under a lot of pressure, frankly, to yeah. to, to to win a to win a starting spot on this team. Yeah, I mean, sixth overall pick. He's what he's got seventy something games of NHL experience, which is crazy because he's still 22, 23. Um, I do think he's under under some pressure to make to you know make the the lineup, but I mean, I, again, Dante Fabro. I'm not trying to. JJ cover years. I'm not trying to trade him or anything, but I think out of everybody that could potentially be on the hot seat, Fabro probably has the highest trade value because he has proven he's at least a serviceable defenseman right now. I think on another team, on at least half the half the teams in the league, he could probably be a second pairing defenseman. So I think for that reason alone, Dante Fabro, it'll be interesting to watch him because you, you don't really know. I mean, right now it looks like Lozon and Borvietsky could be your third pairing, but if Borvietsky, I mean, he's what, 35, he's dealt with concussions and stuff. It could be Fabro could be joining, could be taking his spot, you know, three games into the season. There, there's a lot of moving pieces to this. So I think I would probably put Dante Fabro in that most approved under most pressure category as well. Okay. Yeah. I, I go Cody glass, not in this order, but Co- Cody glass, Dante Fabro, Ellie Tolvanen are three pieces that, the predators need to see growth and development and establishment from, because to your point, Fabro and Tolvin would have some movable value potentially. And it doesn't mean they're bad players. It just means if they want to earn their way into these particular, this team starting lineup and be a true rotational piece permanently, because they're all young. Those three are the three to me that could be traded at the deadline, have some value and, and, and plenty of talent and lots of skill. And if you want another random person to throw in there for most to prove under most pressure, whatever, I, I think you can also probably throw Connor Ingram in that category too. Yeah, I think we true. all kind of assumed he would, he earned a, an NHL roster spot with his playoff performance and they go and they sign Kevin Lincoln in from what I've heard people close to the situation. It's because they, they question, they don't question the talent, but they question whether Connor Ingram is in the headspace. And he's in he's in the right frame of mind to hold up to a full NHL season. They're, they're not, I don't think the question is can he play. I think he proved he can play in the NHL. But I think there's there's serious doubts about whether he could be a, a true NHL backup over the course of an 82 game season. Yep. Hence why they signed Lincoln in. 
and Lincoln, I think, is 27. I think if he goes out there and he proves that he could be a solid backup and he puts up like maybe like Anders Limbach numbers and they keep him around, I think you're looking at Lankanen as a three or a four year backup. And then where's Connor Ingram? He's he's 20, 25, almost 26. He's not going to be playing in Milwaukee because Askarov is there. I think it, this could potentially be the year where either Ingram proves he's going to be on the Predators long term or they maybe trade him or cut him. That's a really good call, actually, uh, for him. That's a really good call. Uh, okay. I think that just about does it for today. Make sure you check out It's All Your Fault every Monday. And, of course, rate, review, subscribe here to the Gold Standard Podcast. Uh, special thanks to Jaspers over on West End, the next evolution of the sports bar, for supporting us, as well as Weiss Liquors. Uh, again, almost 100 years of locally owned, independent, family-run business in Nashville. That's what we do here at 440 Sports, local, independent companies that support your favorite teams, Jaspers and Weiss Liquors. Michael, where can everybody find you, and where can they read your stuff? You can find me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore Monday mornings on It's All Your Fault. And you can read my stuff on the Nashville Post and sometimes on the Nashville scene. There you have it. Uh, obviously, check out Nashville scene, Nashville Post as well, our great, and wonderful, and amazing partners. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>